Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. I want to thank our loyal sponsor, Dr. Dish, at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Instagram and Twitter. Check them out. They post relevant content on a daily basis. Mention this podcast and receive $300 off the best shooting machine in the world. And I want to mention our newest sponsor, SnapRaise. I've raised thousands of dollars using SnapRaise and so many of my coaching friends. There's a major project you want to accomplish, redoing your locker room, getting new uniforms, purchasing a Dr. Dish, whatever it may be. They offer the best ROI, return on investment than any company I've ever worked with. And in 20 years of coaching, I've tried just about everything. So connect with SnapRaise and you'll raise more money than you can imagine. Also, coaches, UnitedBasketballPlus.com has the 2022 Hoosier Gym Clinic on it for annual members. It was a phenomenal clinic. I hope to see many of you there next year. Also, if you're an annual member, you get 50% off all our clinics. We have the Big South Coaches Clinic coming up in Georgia. And it will also get you 50% off next year's Hoosier Gym Clinic. So, so use the code CLINICS and move the price from $59 to $50. That's the code CLINICS. Guys, I appreciate you listening to the podcast and supporting United Basketball for all we have to offer. I hope you enjoy our guests. Thanks for listening. I want to welcome Robin Frelick with Bowling Green uh, to the podcast this evening. Thanks for coming on, Coach. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm always looking to have coaches from different parts of the country and um, you were someone who came highly recommended to me and um, well, let's, let's just dive right into some topics here. And I mean, you have really, as I've done some research and read up on you, really turned Bowling Green around, but you also were very successful at, at Ashland. You were an assistant coach there a while. I believe you were an assistant coach on a national championship team, correct? Yes. Yeah. And 2013. You, okay. Then you took over as head coach and won a national championship in the 16-17 season. Mm-hmm. So what is it? I mean, I don't get a lot of coaches on here that win a national championship. I get some state championship coaches, and I've had some national championship coaches. What is that like? Like, what is it when you reach the top of the mountain? I mean, what is the feeling, or how long does it take to to set in? You know, it's so interesting because um, my second year as a head coach at Ashland, we went undefeated and won the national championship, which in the coaching world that feels like the pinnacle. You know, to to go through a season undefeated to finish. We, we actually played the national championship game in Columbus, Ohio, which is about an hour from Ashland. So, you know, all of our fans could be there and it was incredible. And the moments where you could take a deep breath and sort of be saturated in what was happening right in front of you, it was, it sort of felt unbelievable, you know, it almost felt surreal. Um, but I will say that I remember the day after uh, we won the national championship, I woke up that next day and I felt kind of, empty um because i i really thought like man that's it right like yeah you chase chase this for your whole career and you talk about then you get there and like what next type deal yeah so it's sort of like but i loved that team i loved that season i loved our practices i loved our time together Um, i loved the way we took care of each other i loved the way we treated each other um but it, I learned that that was my second year as a head coach. Um, so I think in, it's really, that's really interesting <clears throat> to experience that. And it's really interesting to experience that early in your career, especially as a head coach, um, just that you got to make sure you're chasing the right things because even 
you know, the ultimate victory of a national championship to finish your year on a win isn't fully satisfying, you know, right. it's just the next day and the next team and the next, you know, time you got to go recruiting. So, um, it was incredible, but it's, it's not, um, it's not the answer, you know, right. it's not, it's not the thing that will keep you coaching for a long time. And looking, you know, I think if I, my math is right, you went like 104 and three in a three year span. You lost the national championship. You were runner up the next year. So when you win a national championship and your program is that successful, like what does that do to the community and, and the mm -hmm. school? I mean, you know, you hear about the big dogs that win like the Kansas and Duke and Notre Dame and UConn women, but you know, a smaller community, a smaller school, what did that, what did that do that you felt like um, kind of recharged the battery, you know, whatever, you know, it helped the student body. It helped, I always hear how it helps just overall enroll people applying to the college, right? Cause you're just out there in the public eye a little more. Uh, uh, we had a community that absolutely fell in love with the women's basketball team. Um, and so, you know, that was really cool. It was the, packed house night in and night out on just regular season games. Um, but it, it was more than basketball, you know, something that that's always been important to me with all the teams I've coached is that our kids are really connected to the community, that they give back to the community, that they know their fans, that there's a interconnectedness. Mm -hmm. I just don't want it to be fan and player. <clears throat> Cause I think there's so much more to the, the relationship than that. So I think it was multifaceted in the fact that, uh, it's fun to watch a team that competes and plays together and has a lot of success, but it's even more fun and rewarding to watch a team that, you know, mm -hmm. and I think the, the biggest piece was there was this incredible connectedness that we had with the community um, that allowed for this, um, you know, unbelievable support. How difficult was it? Uh, and we'll talk more about Bowling Green, but, but to leave. Oh you yeah. Know? I mean, you, not only did you love the community and the players, but you were unbelievably successful, you know? So how tough was it and, and why Bowling Green? Yeah. So, um, Ashland will always hold a very dear spot, spot in my heart. I, it's where I met my husband. So, yeah. um, I was an assistant coach there for seven years and I was a head coach for three. So I was there for 10 years and, uh, my husband was the men's assistant. So that's where we met. Um, that's where he proposed to me was actually in cage gymnasium. Um, that's where we bought our first house. That's where wow. we had both of our kids were born there. So there's so many pieces, um, to Ashland just being just a really transformative part mm -hmm. of our lives. Um, and then it was incredibly hard to leave because when you, when you do it right. And when you pour your heart and soul into a place, it's, it's always hard to leave. I mean, I remember I had a hard time talking to the team without crying. Oh and yeah. So, um, I just wrote each one of them a letter because I knew it would be hard for me to communicate the things I wanted to communicate um, person to person, at least at that time. Um, and then why Bowling Green, <clears throat> you know, just made sense in so many ways. It was a program built on incredible tradition of success, huge support for women's basketball. Mm -hmm. Um my family, all of me and my husband's family uh, is within an hour and a half radius. So we actually moved closer to um, cousins, nephews, grandmas, grandpas. Um, we really are in a, a great space for us to see our family all the time. 
And it was a university that I just, I really believed in. I believed we could recruit high level student athletes. Uh, you know, when you go on campus, the campus is beautiful. No. The academics are great. And the Stroh facility was brand new. I mean, it's, it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and then you add an incredible fan base. You know, there was, there was 10 straight years where Bowling Green women's basketball won the league or won the tournament. So that tradition, mm. my second year there, we finished last in the league and second in attendance. So wow, um, those were a lot of the reasons. And, yeah. it was a new, and it was a new challenge. You know, we had been at Ashland for 10 years and we felt like we had given the program our heart and soul. And um, I was still, pr still pretty young in my coaching career. And we just felt like it was the right place at the right time. So uh when you took over the Bowling Green job, what are what are what were some of the cultural things that you bring with you? Like who, what are some of your staples or what you want your team to represent or you want to instill in them as the leader? I mean, as you move from Ashland to Bowling Green, new campus, new staff potentially. What I don't even know what their rec how they were doing before you took over. They obviously have a history of success. Yeah. But how are you? How do you build culture? Yeah, so uh, BG had a real history of success and then um, had had a number of down years. So um, I was taking over a team that had struggled. And so how do you build culture? You know, I, I always say culture, one of my favorite sayings is culture isn't built in a day. It's built every day. Hmm. And it's not built in one workshop. It's built in every day and every interaction that we have. And our culture was centered around five core values. And so that's something that I've had when I was at Ashland. It's something that, you know, came with me when I came to Bowling Green and our five core values are be a great teammate, manners matter, trust, toughness, and commitment. And then we dive into those, you know, we really dive into what those mean. We talk about them every day and then everything we do revolves around that. Every standard of behavior, we just go back to that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you talk about that every day over one year, over two years, over three years, and suddenly you see it starting to become alive, not just um, not just in our share circle, but in the, actually the way we play and, and the way we treat each other. So a cool stat that I love to share is when we when we got there the year before our staff arrived, we were dead last in the league in assists. And our third season, we were first. Mm -hmm. So you know, it, it literally translates also into the way that you can compete and play on the court. So when you met the team for the first time, I know we're going back a little ways here, but when you meet with the team those first few times, what are you communicating with? Do you start talking about culture from the start as you meet the players or meet with them individually and, 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 and things like that? It's, it was one of the first things we talked about. It was something that we talked about every day. Um, so we uh, literally every day before practice, we do a share circle. And Monday, we'll all go around and identify what a great teammate looks like or an example of that. Um, Tuesday, manners matter. And we just keep cycling through that. So, um, you know, you can talk about them and suddenly – um, over time, one of my other favorite quotes is day to day, nothing seems to change. It's a CS Lewis quote. And then pretty soon everything's different. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's exactly how I felt with 
the culture and the core values. Like you can't, it's not a magic wand. It's just day to day, nothing seems to change. And then pretty soon everything's different. And um, I think we saw that culturally just by staying consistent with what we cared about every day. By the way, I love C.S. Lewis, first C.S. Yeah. Lewis quote on the podcast. I'm a big C.S. <laughs> Lewis fan. Um, so how does how do your core values, the core principles, I know you meet for, how does that transfer in your your style of practice? Or, you know, toughness, trust, the other things mm-hmm. you mentioned, even even manners, for example. How does How do you implement that? you know, in, in practice, I know it may not be like direct, like this drill is about or this competition, yeah. but obviously your culture wants to show up as you compete in, in conference games and non-conference games. And so it's gotta be a practice as well. Yeah. I think, I think you'll see it. in um, you know, the year we won the league, I thought our, um, I thought our X factor was just teamness and toughness. And I, I'm not always even sure how we won some games. We just would sort of, win one or two more extra possessions with mm-hmm. teamness and toughness. Um, I think if you watch our team play, you see a real spirit. And I think that is reflected in how much we talk about how much being a teammate matters. Um, we share the ball really well. We really, we always talk about getting our shot. What's the best shot for our team. Um, and that's being a great teammate yeah. <laughs> and that's trust, right. Mm-hmm. And toughness. Um, we've just really picked up our pace of play. Like we p- we're pretty aggressive defensively. Um, we 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 like to play with pace on made and missed shots. So I think all of those translate. Um, right. But more than that, I think it's just something that they're constantly reminded about that is important. So again, I like talking about practice with coaches. If you'll indulge yeah. me for a second. So what does a practice look like for you? Um, what are some things, are there certain things you want to accomplish every practice or certain stats you track, you know, how do you like, how do you like to start practice? That's always something I'm always interested in. Like how do coaches like to start practice? Is it the same or is it different or does it just depend on? So a typical practice, um, you know, we'll do our core value share circle and then we usually split and do skill work. So we'll split and post and guards and do 15, 20 minutes of skill work. Cause I think skill work is really important throughout mm-hmm. the whole season, you know, I players beat plays um, over and over and over again. And so we go from that and then we'll typically go, we do a full court drill that works on our offense. So one end of it is a made shot. The other end is a missed shot. So we're working on our full court, made shot, missed shot break. Um, we usually go from full court to half court drill, could be offense or defense, half court to full court. So that's something that's pretty consistent that we're going full court, half court, full court, half court. Um, I don't have anything that one one thing in that drill is we do minus four for turnovers because I just turnovers are are so hard to overcome mm-hmm. in the game. Yes. Um, we don't track a ton of things and I don't have a whistle at practice. Um, most everything we do is normal score because that's how the game is played. Right. You know, you may you could get 10 rebounds, but if you don't make one of them, that's still zero points. Yeah. Um, so I kind of keep it as simple as possible. Um, but that's that's how a, a typical practice is broken up, where we're usually mixing up between full court, half court, full court, half court, mixing in offense and defense yep. um, into those segments. Yeah, that's something you hit on a point that I've always thought about. Are we helping our players or hurting our players sometimes? Like, you know, we may play and I'll count a paint, you know, we'll play where paint touch threes over four points, right? 
Mm-hmm. Or like we're not doing real game points, right? We yeah. give extra things to things that, and maybe it does help emphasize it. And they're looking for that, and maybe mm-hmm. that will bleed over the game. But you're right; you could win a competitive game at practice if you gave two points for every offensive rebound. But if you never put it in the hole, is it? Are we accomplishing what we, what we want to accomplish? I know that we want to emphasize things. Yeah, I, but if I think it doesn't, there's a place for that, though, especially yeah. if you're not rebounding well, or you're right. turning the ball over a lot, or you're taking, you know, low percentage shots. If that's a consistent theme, I think those things absolutely have a place to get it in their your kid's head how important it is. But like I shared at the end of the day, you can get ten offensive rebounds, and if you don't make the shot, it's still worth zero points. So right. So we do do mostly just normal scoring. Um, Honestly, for me, too, it's just easier to keep track of what's going on. (laughs) No, you're right. I've done games before. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's the score? Because I'm giving up subtracting here. And I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I can be at practice by myself sometimes. Like, what are are we doing? Mm -hmm. I don't have managers on a scoreboard, you know, tracking the stuff. Um, that's why I don't have a whistle either because I, I don't get a whistle during the games. Yeah, so, so it's just your if I voice. need their attention. They need they need to be able to. I need to be able to get their attention. Like I, just like I need to get it in the game. You know, they need right. to be. Able to, and it also stops me from stopping them a lot. Helps no, that, me stopping them a lot. Yeah, that's the dangerous thing about the whistle. You're tracking like how much are we breaking the flow mm-hmm. of practice, or you know stopping all, all these mistakes when you've got to see them react and get out of a situation yeah. uh for example so any any good shooting things that you guys do that you mm-hmm. feel is has helped you guys um anything particular practice that you think like this might be as something that we do that's just a little different a little better that really has helped us i know you said you led the you went from last and assist to first and assist was that just focusing on that? I know I'm jumping around, but was that just focusing on assist or like really, really like breaking down film and, hey, this kid's open or style so of offense? Style of play. Yeah. So if you, if you pass, we play more, way more of a motion. So if you pass the ball a lot, you know, you're going to be more likely to score off a pass. Um, we work on passing a lot. I think passing is a really important tool to being good at offense. So we work on left-hand passes, right-hand passes, bounce passes to the post, skip passes. Um, I think a big part of it is learning how to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a third piece is just making sure the team is bought into the best shot. Because when you're getting best shots, right, you're getting assists because those are typically made baskets. Um, and then what was the part before that? I was asking, is there a particular things oh, you need to focus on shooting or – some competitive drills or competitions that you feel like has helped helps your team. Coaches, I want to talk to you for just a second about why you should seriously consider getting a Dr. Dish. First of all, their payment plan system is unreal. 12 months, no interest. I paid half up front and then I paid the other half over the next 365 days and I have a brand new Dr. Dish CT. On top of that, it's just the best shooting machine out there. The CT is so user-friendly, as are all their shooting machines. So reach out to Dr. Dish, tell them you heard about them on the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast, and receive a discount. You won't regret it. Your players will get better. They'll get shots up, more reps up, and you'll become a better basketball team. Reach out to Dr. Dish. Follow them on all social media, at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Now back to our guest. 
So we do, um, one of my assistants does a really good job with creating shooting competitions through the week. So she has them like on her uh, door. And so there's different shooting competitions they can do on their own and then they chart it, you know, so you can kind of see where somebody else is and I want to beat the score. But a shooting drill that we do all the time in practice is called cash money. And you put five minutes on the clock and you've got to make three threes in a row from five spots. So corner, wing, top, wing, corner. So you make, once you make three in a row, you go to the next spot. Once you make three in a row, you go to the next spot. Once you do that, you've got to make one in a row at the five spots. So you got to go corner, wing, top of the key, wing, corner. And you got to make those five in a row. Anytime you miss, you go back. Back to, to the very beginning. Not to the beginning. Just, just back a spot. Five, to essentially five in a row. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's good for a few reasons. One, it's resilience. Like it's a it's really a frustrating drill because you can shoot the ball really well and miss one shot, mm -hmm. you know, and have to. So it, it teaches resilience. It teaches how to make important shots. Yep. Like the shot matters. Like you've got to make shots and you've got to make shots in a row. Um, and then the third thing is uh, you get a lot of shots up in a small amount of time. So that's a that's a shooting drill we do all the time. And then they learn, you know, their best time, and then they're trying to beat their best time. So there's just always this sort of competition piece to it. If you don't make it within five minutes, it's done. Um, and you've got to be a pretty good shooter to get it. And yeah. so it's a good test if you're if you're not a very good shooter. Um, it's a it's a hard drill, um, but it challenges you. And as you get better at it, it's fun to see kids who get better at it start to get it. That's good. I'm always looking for, for things to add. And um, th that that's a really good one. So you mentioned style of play, you know, motion style. Is it more, is it kind of like uh, dribble drive? Is it screen based? Like what, just a little bit. I know it's hard to describe offense on the podcast for people, for people yeah. but how would four out one in? What would, how would you describe it? Well, I've done two primary offenses. We do a lot of four out one in when I got here. Um, when I was at Ashland, we did a lot of three out, two in high level ball screen motion. Um, but we had uh, two all American post players. So that could score inside out, which uh, makes that offense very hard to guard. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> at BG, we've done a lot of four out, one in, and we just play off of um, concepts. So they get a lot of freedom. Um, and at first, it can look a little bit of a mess because when you give people a lot of freedom, it can spacing can be weird and timing can be, can be challenging, but um, we just do it all the time. And we really, it's a fun way to play um, because it gives kids a lot of freedom um, to make plays. So we work on, you know, making plays off closeouts. That's something we work on a lot. You gotta be able to shoot it or drive it. Um, we work on if you, you know, depending on where you are and what spot and where you pass, where you end up. And, and if it gets messy, there's four spots to fill. Yeah. Um, we work on what we do on a post entry. We work on what we do on a skip. Um, we work on what we do in transition. So, um, concepts, spacing and spots is how we play out of it. And, um, with our fives, we mix up sometimes keeping them ball side or opposite, just depending on what their strength is. Um, and then incorporating them also with some ball screens. Um, but we try to keep, I try to keep things as simple as possible because if, if you've, I don't play basketball anymore. <laughs> you mean you don't get out there with the girls and show them you know, those days are over. 
<laughs> they probably love that. They would. Keep that they, they'd put they'd you play. on TikTok. They'd put they you all over the place. Serious defense that day. <laughs> um, but you know, if, when you when you do play, the game's really fast, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's hard to be thinking about a lot of things and be effective, in my opinion. Um, so with that feeling, I'm just always trying to keep it simple because if, if your brain's going really busy, then you typically play a little bit slower. And, um, while we can see things a lot differently from a coaching perspective, when you are actually playing, there's only so many things that you can remember and do well. Um, so we try to create things we do around that. I want to back up to what you mentioned at the beginning. You mentioned, uh, attacking closeouts. What is a specific read? Are you reading hands up? Are you reading? Is it a long closeout? How do you want them to when when to shoot and when to attack? Well, anytime we're in a long closeout, you should. If you're not open on the catch, then you should be able to drive it. Right. That's basically what we teach. If you're open on the catch, you should shoot it. And if you're not open on the catch, you've got to get by that one defender. And so, uh, a concept we consistently teach is. You know, and offensively, you've got to be able to drive to score or drive to create help. Mm-hmm. And if you create help, you pass where help came from. Um, so simple concepts. But if somebody's not a good shooter, um, then they're probably going to drive every closeout, whether right. it's a closeout or a, or a bad closeout. No, that, that's true. I've, a, a, a lot of coaches, I mean, you worded that really, really good and simply because I think a lot of times we just – have that concept you just said, but we just mess it up with our terminology. And, you know, I like, I like, you know, you're driving to draw help. You're driving to, to score. Um, I mean, it sounds simple, but it probably takes your freshman a little bit of time to figure out exactly what to do and when to do it. Right. Yeah, Your brain's going fast and did help come, did it not come? But yeah, when you get better at it, when you work on it a lot, it becomes, and then, and then a lot of what we work on too is playing off two feet. So mm-hmm. if help comes, you got to get to two feet to you're if you're playing on two feet, you're in control. If you're playing in the air, they're in control. So um, that's something we work on a lot too, is drawing help and then playing off two feet for the next pass. So you're trying, when you get a defensive rebound, you're trying to get it out and get down the floor quickly and before the defense can get set and you're trying to score quickly if possible. Does, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, we always want to um, put the defense at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So if we can do that early, it doesn't mean we necessarily have to shoot it early right. or shoot it fast. But if we can get defense and any sort of early help, early rotation, um, that that's what we're trying to do. And uh, does your defense complement? I'm sure it does. Defensively, are you trying to push pace of play? When I was at Ashland, we pressed. So we we played 100 miles per hour. We scored over 100 points, I think, like 17 times. Wow. We we played at a blitzing pace. Um, we haven't done that the same at Bowling Green. Um, part of it's personnel. Part of it's, you know, like uh, in our league last year, we had a point guard who scored 25, 24 points a game. Like she's electric and really fast and hard to trap. So – um, but we mix it up. We'll, we'll trap, we'll do some full court trapping. We'll do some, uh, ball screen trapping. We, we do, uh, we do veer on the side of aggressive. Okay. 
That's that's good. I'm going to have to definitely find you guys on um, Synergy and, and find some find some things to watch more of you. Let, I want to back up a little bit. I love talking with basketball players and coaches who did multiple sports and reading your page and everything. You played soccer, softball, and basketball in high school, correct? That's right. And, and before you went to Davidson, how did how do you think playing multiple sports prepared you or helped you? Obviously, basketball was what you went to college for and, and coach now, but did you see a lot of value as you look back and play multiple sports? Absolutely. Um, uh, I think it helps minimize burnout. Um, I think it, I think it makes you more athletic. Um, you know, it's just different coordinations, different athleticisms. I think it also teaches you different roles on a team. Like my mm-hmm. role on the basketball team was different than my role on the soccer team. Um, but both, had value and both mattered. I think there's a real value to learning how to play different roles. Um, it's also fun. You know, I, I found those seasons to be like when I was playing softball and soccer to be really fun and Mm -hmm. probably a little less pressure and a little less hard on yourself. Um, and great memories, you know, high school sports are, are really fun. So I'm a big proponent of kids playing a lot of sports. I think that's also how you find your passion. I also just think it's, um, you know, from my experience coaching kids who play multiple sports, they they tend to be uh, coordinated and good mm-hmm. athletes. Yeah, I mean, definitely moving better instead of doing the same sport year round. And also, I think that you're right. You could be a stud softball player, but you may be a reserve and get spot minutes in basketball, but you're still learning how to help the team as a and and. A, and have a, have a great role. And what I see is a lot of kids quit because they're used to having that star position. And then they don't want to be the girl or guy coming off the bench and things like that and have that little uh, terminal. But I think, I think it's great for them. Um, you know, it takes, and I do think it does take some, uh, some pressure, um, off them as well. So what, what is the outlook? I mean, for this upcoming season, which is right around the corner, did you graduate a lot off last year's team, bring a lot back? What What is your outlook for this upcoming season in the, in the league? Yeah, so we have um, 10 starters, not 10 starters. Wow. They <laughs> play a different starters. Bowling Green. <laughs> we played each other every night. Um, we have 10 returners. Yeah. Um, we have five new kids, um, three freshmen, and two grad transfers. So um, I'm really excited. I think there's something I've – felt about this team is is just a good focus um a good work ethic a good togetherness we actually just took an international trip to costa rica Mm. and got back about a week and a half ago which is the first time we've been able to do that in my time here because of the pandemic um and that time together was incredible Uh, i've never had the opportunity to do a trip like that and it's you know not during the academic year and it's not during your competitive season Mm -hmm. and so you really just get to be together and enjoy that time and um i'm really hoping um that time is is a good catalyst for us going into the season yeah i I love costa rica been there a couple of times been on a basketball mission mission trip there so on the trip there i mean you have multiple goals to play competitively right and then team building um what was the competition like there Who, who did you play um, and I'm guessing for a lot of your girls, it was probably the first time they'd ever traveled internationally. It was. So it was a great experience in general. Oh gosh, it was so cool to watch. Like, um, we played a 
it was like a club team. I mean, the, the competition wasn't, it, it wasn't uh, stellar, but right. our kids had a ton of fun playing. Um, most of our kids had never traveled internationally. Um, a lot of our kids were scared of heights or scared of water. Mm -hmm. And we went zip lining, yeah. we went whitewater rafting. And so you see kids that they, they might not even know what they're getting themselves into, you know, mm -hmm. and suddenly they're doing it and thinking it's incredible. So, um, so many parts of that trip were just memorable, like life changing. We got to run a clinic for, uh, the Costa Ricans, it was probably about 40 kids from about age four to 20. Hmm. And that was a blast that we, we had a blast. So, um, so many parts we'll take away from that trip, mostly gratitude. Um, yes, ab absolutely. Getting to do something like that is goodness. It was, it, it was, and I got to bring my family along too. So to be able to share that with them was, was incredible. Now, is your husband still coaching? I, I should have asked that or maybe know that. Because you said you met, he was assistant coach at Ashland, correct? Yes. And then we actually coached together at Ashland. Um, uh, my last two years as head coach, he was an assistant. Um, and then when we came to Bowling Green, when we moved here, I think our kids were two and five. Mm -hmm. And um, we, had a, we had a lot going on. So um he actually started his own business uh called be transform basketball and he does skill training in the area for kids okay six to 18 a six to 20 so you're you know, a basketball so. family you're just yeah yeah basketball so he gets, family. He gets his, he's still giving back to basketball and he loves to do skill work and so he's he's really kind of found his his niche here yeah well that's good well, Coach, thanks a lot for coming on. I'm trying to think if there's anything I uh, – oh, yeah, I want to ask you this. I apologize. Um, who are some of your biggest influences as a coach? Was it your old high school coach, maybe someone you watched from afar? But who has influenced you as a leader and, and a coach in your in your life? My high school coach was uh, incredible. I had actually two, Ron Mott, who's in the, the Hall of Fame, and then he retired, and Christine Cermak and – my junior year, we went to the, the final four and um, she was fun and tough and made basketball, made the basketball gym the place everybody wanted to be. Um, and she was a mom. So uh, I'm still close with her. She made a, a huge impact on me. And then working with Sue Ramsey when I was the assistant at Ashland, um, she is she is just so unique in the world of coaching because one of my favorite things I always share about her is that nobody can steal her joy. Hmm. She's just a, a coach who's in it for all the right reasons. You know, even after a tough loss, she's in the office the next day full of joy. You know, I was yeah. almost like, this is wild. This lady yeah. is wild. Um, but incredible. And um, I learned so much from her just about um, who she was and, how she treated people and how she loved what she did. So um, I would say those, those two really, and, and obviously my first high school coach as well, really, really stand out. That's good. It's amazing how, you know, much a, a middle, I mean, I have to ask some people this, they're like, Hey, my middle school coach, my eighth grade coach. I mean, the impact coaches can have, um, can go into our life decades and decades. Right. Mm-hmm. 
and hopefully someday, you know, maybe coach, hopefully players said about, about you and I, right. I mean, there's someone out there that was like, Hey, coach Smith and coach Freilich, but uh, well, coach, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time um, to share and um, look forward to following the team. Yeah. Good uh, luck to you too, coach. Do what? I said good luck to you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. We will get rolling here. I think our first practice can be, I think it's October 24th in Georgia. So two months from today, if today's the 24th or two, two months from tomorrow. So yeah, we'll start. So we just got back to school about 10 days ago, uh, two weeks or so. So get, let the kids get in a routine. Then we'll start our workouts and then we're rolling. You know how it is. Not yeah. a lot of downtime in coaching anymore. There's no, you're not, I mean, we still some time away and try to give the kids time away and do other things. Like I want my kids to work and, be involved in their youth group and do stuff, but then it's time to get after it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, best of luck to you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, thank you.